Welcome to That Anthro Podcast, the podcast dedicated to anthropology. Together, each week, we will be learning from the experts and researchers that are researching our pasts and today's problems. My name is Gabriella Campbell, and I'll be interviewing a new guest each week to bring to you the latest and greatest in anthropology, based right here out of Santa Barbara. Join me for weekly episodes, whether you're an anthropology buff or looking to learn something new. Welcome to That Anthro Podcast. Hey, everybody. Long time no chat. It's nice to be back, um, back on like a regular posting schedule. Um, I'll just start off by saying you might notice I sound a little different. That's because I... If I could tell you what was going on with me, it would make both of our lives um, make more sense. I am either having a severe allergic reaction to something or I am sick. Uh, I spent yesterday at the doctor's and we believe it's an allergic reaction, whatever, fun, you know, my nose is stuffed up. That's why I sound different. But um, I actually like was going to do an episode over the break. Uh, just like a little catch up with me. Um, but you know, I had the most lovely relaxing break. I will be the first to say that I, I put too much on my plate last quarter. Um, I put, I had too many responsibilities and I think that it was a good example of how, when you have too much going on, you can't excel in anything really. Everything kind of like certain, like school, podcasting like they all kind of suffer in a way when your plate is too full and I really took like the vacation to rest and to do nothing and to I did like I finished up grad applications um, without the stress of like anything else and it was incredible it felt rejuvenating necessary and like I think it's really good to take a break from podcasting. Um, I think podcasting in particular is a form of media in which we have not created boundaries. So, for example, I have my favorite podcasts. When they don't come out every week, I'm like heartbroken. So I know how some of you feel if you really want to have a new episode every Wednesday. But at the same time, what are all podcasts just supposed to post every week from now until like infinity, you know, with a TV show or with like a radio show, like there are set parameters for what the output will be. And something with podcasting is that there is, because it is a new media form, there's no real definition and there shouldn't be, but there's no limits. There's no boundaries. Like I was saying, like, I could theoretically post every week until I die, but I can't do that because, (laughs) first of all, I don't want to, but second of all, like, it's just not feasible. So I, and I said this on my Instagram, and I just want to say, like, if your favorite podcast, you know, including this one, but, like, any podcast is, like, taking a break, look at it as a good thing because you know when they come back and are posting episodes again, like, they'll be more inspired, they'll be better episodes, like, the host will be feeling better, the guests will probably be feeling better, so just keep that in mind. Um, 
the last thing that I'll say is like a decision that I made with kind of the longevity of the podcast and I just want to like put it out there now. I had for a while had this like reservation if I wanted to take the podcast with me to grad school, continue it, you know, after I graduate from UCSB. Nobody freak out. Some of you are probably a little scared about what I'm going to say right now, but don't worry. It's good news. I am ready and willing to take the podcast through another two years. And um, I'm really excited about that. I think there'll be a lot of growth in that time. But I also just want to let people know um, I'm not sure about the life of the podcast after like a season four. So again, there are no boundaries about what a podcast, how long it should be, how long it should be in existence. Um, I'm currently don't have any sponsorships. Um, If anyone like if any other podcasters or anyone knows of like a business or a brand that like wants to sponsor the podcast, that would be great. Um, But, you know, right now, like it's just a fun project. And so as much as I want to keep it going as long as I can, as of right now, we've got like another two and a half years of me set in stone saying like I will do the podcast. Um, Yeah, that's just a little update. I don't really know if anyone cares. (laughs) if you don't like cool skip this part if you care and you've been like worried about how long the podcast is gonna go like there's your answer at least another two and a half years if not longer but definitely another two and a half years so um (laughs) how do I transition I will transition by saying my favorite thing about the podcast is that I have made friends I have met people that I'm just so lucky I've gotten to meet. And one of those people is Lauren Malone. I really think when I get a chat with under other undergrads, there's just a different level of connection that we have and a different a different way we can inspire each other. Like I leave an interview with an undergrad feeling more capable and I would hope that, you know, um, they feel the same way. I just think it's really special to be able to connect with someone who's on the same path that you are. So I really appreciate um, Lauren for coming on the podcast. You know, Lauren reached out to me in wanting to come on the podcast, and I'm so thankful that we made it work. Um, Another person, another listener who I'd like to shout out is Caitlin Ben... I'm going to say her name wrong. Another listener that I'd like to shout out is Caitlin Bengoa. I um, she's someone who reached out to me on Instagram, and we I have like a new friend, and it's so cool. I think it's so special. So if anyone like wants to reach out and like chat, oh my gosh, please do reach out to me on Instagram, or you can send me an email. Um, the podcast email is literally like just the name of the podcast at gmail.com. Um, I would love to chat with you. I would love it. It brings me joy. When people send me DMs that say why they love the podcast or just who they are, like, hi, I'm a student from Georgia listening to the podcast. I love it. Like, truly, it makes my day. It makes everything I do worth it. So reach out to me. Um, But on that note, let's enjoy this lovely episode with the talented Lauren Malone. I think you all will love this episode and really relate to her, especially if you're a fellow undergrad. She's a first-gen scholar, so we love it. Without further ado, let's get into the episode.
welcome back to another episode of That Anthro Podcast, everyone. Today we have Lauren Malone. I'm super excited. Lauren is currently a senior studying anthropology and religious studies with a classic archaeology minor at UTK. And you know what, Ashton, I'm going to start with, did you have to take Latin or Greek to get that classical arc minor? Because I wanted to do that and UCSB requires you to take Latin or Greek. And I was like, no. <laughs> uh, so they require it for the majors. Uh, I mm. think, yeah, between you have to either, I can't remember if you have to either do Latin or Greek and I think Hebrew is, Hebrew is in there as well, or like all oh, yeah. three or something wild like that. But <laughs> thankfully for the minor, because I'm doing like a classical archaeology it's a little bit more lenient. So I'm pretty happy about that because I'm not great with any of those. (laughs) No, I know that's, that was my exact thing is like my first archaeology class I took at UCSB was classical arc. And I was like, oh, this could be a minor double major, whatever. And then I saw the language requirement and I was like, I already speak Spanish. Like, I don't want to, I don't need to tackle that bridge. (laughs) Um, but I mentioned that you're um, studying at UTK. Oh, I should clarify. University of Tennessee, Knoxville. I've just been, I'm like in grad school mode. So everything's abbreviations to me, but then no one knows what I'm talking about. Uh, so I'm <laughs> curious, like kind of what drew you to Tennessee? Are you from the area? Was it the school that drew you in or was it kind of just like a coincidence? Because that that's what happens sometimes. <laughs> it's kind of a combination of all of that. I'm originally from Florida. Um but moved up to Tennessee to be close to some family and restarted my academic career and went to community college. And by the time it got to the point where I needed to look at transferring to another, you know, four-year university to finish out my schooling, um, I talked to a couple professors and they were like, you need to look into UTK because I mean, it's only about two and a half hours away from my home base right now. And I was not aware, as someone not from Tennessee, about how extensive and honestly wonderful their anthropology program is. Um, I'm sure you know, but their forensics uh, subsect is is pretty massive. So I got and really very lucky. legacy. Absolutely, yeah. I got really lucky to be so close to a place where I could honestly just blossom and flourish in my in my major. Yeah. No, I, that's wonderful. I definitely have it's a legacy program and you know I think the really cool thing right now is that the forensic center has really trans um transformed in that it's now being run by three or four women you can correct me but um which is awesome just to see you know anthropology is traditionally a male-dominated field but I think a lot of fields were traditionally uh male-dominated so it's just really wonderful to kind of see the program growing growing with the times and um definitely definitely a great program know a lot of people that go there but um, you mentioned that you did your associates before you transferred to uh, UTK. And I actually think that it's something I, I just saw actually all, I remember her at, so at Vintage Academic on Instagram was like, post, she just did a reel about how people, there's such a stigma. There's such a stigma about doing that. Absolutely. So first of all, it's, it's a great, it's a great option. You're hearing everyone hearing me that's listening. That's like, maybe I'm going to go to community college. Don't feel the stigma do what you need to do, save money or do it because maybe you don't know what you're interested in yet. I know tons of people that have, you know, done that for different reasons, but for you, I know that it kind of made your journey a bit untraditional. And then of course, kind of the timing with COVID affected you. So could you just explain a bit about your journey that has kind of led you to where you are today, whether that's your interest in anthropology or just kind of like that transition into from the community college to a four-year 
For sure. Uh, yeah, my journey has been a bit unorthodox compared to a lot of my colleagues and friends that I know that are, you know, in this in this realm. I graduated out of high school a while ago and didn't go directly into academia. And then I went for a little bit to a community college and it just wasn't the right time. I was going through some personal things and just needed to figure some things out. So ended up working for a couple of years before I moved up, like I said, to Tennessee. And I was like, I could not shake this anthropology bug. I've always been really fascinated in anthropology, but you might've heard this a lot growing up as well. If you were also really into it in you know, high school, well, how can you, how can you make uh, money with anthropology? What can you, what's a job in anthropology? And as a first generation student, I don't know. I didn't know for the longest time how to answer that other than, you know, being an archeologist, but like, who knows what that actually entailed. So I was a little nervous and skeptical to go into it, but um, I just could not think of anything else that I wanted to do. And so when I came up here, I declared my major as anthro and we had an extremely tiny department we had, including myself, I believe there was five anthro students. Wow. That's not not just, you know, five archaeology or for what, like five anthro in general students. Yeah. And I would say for all of the anthro professors that I did have in that community college, only one of them uh, was trained in anthropology, had their PhD in anthropology, master's in anthropology, et cetera. So it was a very difficult time to kind of get my feet wet into anthro. Uh, it was definitely different than if I had gone to UT, you know, straight out of the gate for year university, completely different. But like you were saying, I think community college is a wonderful and just amazing place to start if you are unsure or want to save some money or, you know, it's it's an intimidating time to come out of high school and, and mm-hmm. go straight into such a, into academia. So yeah. I support people going to community college wholeheartedly. It was awesome. And so, yeah, I went to community college, got my associates in arts in 2020 in anthropology. And then spring 2021 is whenever I came up to UTK and rest is a kind of history. I'm still here. Well, I think it's awesome. And I hope, you know, the transition has been good living in Tennessee. I uh, hope you haven't experienced tornadoes because that's literally like my biggest fear ever. Like people were like, why aren't you applying to UT? um utk and i'll tell you right now because me in a tornado shelter with my dog is not a cute picture no one wants to be in that tornado shelter with me like i'm telling you right now nobody does so i hope it's been a good experience it has so far thankfully i I mean like i'm very very grateful that we're not we've not been affected on the eastern side of tennessee as much with the tornadoes my heart goes out to everyone that has been affected uh, as of recently but yeah, we haven't really had too much uh, crazy weather or anything out there. So it's like overall, yeah. it's been it's pretty pretty uh pretty easy uh, transition. <laughs> you mentioned that you're a first generation student, which I think is you know incredibly impressive. And I was curious if there were any resources that you had or any experiences that you would recommend to other first gen students. Or on the flip side, maybe there weren't any, and you think you have some ideas of ways that maybe schools or in the future we can just generally be more supportive of first generation scholars. For sure. I'm going to be pretty blunt and honest. Uh, going into academia as a first-gen student is really scary at times and very intimidating. Um, academia and even anthropology is a pretty gate-kept and can be very, um, 
yeah, people want to assume that you know everything going into it ahead of time and know what all of these different terms mean, whether that be, you know, just going to school kind of terms or anthro terms or whatever you're majoring in. But, you know, we're not all starting out at the same place. And I think asking questions was honestly my biggest way to overcome a lot of the fears that I had. Um, I'm a pretty quiet person, very introverted. So it, got, it took me a little bit to kind of get that confidence. But um, I would just say to, to speak up, talk to your advisors, talk to your professors, your career coaches and say, hey, listen, like yeah. I'm, I'm first gen. I have questions about this. I mean, for the longest time, I didn't even know what like credit hours meant. Like I knew they were on there, but I didn't even know what that literally meant. And to some people, they're going to be like, what? Like, that's crazy. How do you not know? But whenever you come from a, you know, place that you don't have anyone to kind of lean on and ask these, you know, quote unquote, easy or dumb questions. I hate mm -hmm. that term, but you know, it, it's pretty intimidating when you're surrounded by other people that are different than that. So ask questions. I, I always like a huge advocate of being like, Hey, just want to let you know, like I'm having trouble figuring out how to make my resume for graduate school or what mm. is graduate school? What can I do? What, yeah. uh, what kind of, what's research like? How does that work? Do I have to pay for research? There's no dumb question, honestly, mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, you're going to benefit from the answer because you're finding it out. And, you know, you just got to get over that hump of being scared to, yeah. kind of ask yeah <laughs> I think um college advisors are a really good underutilized resource I know my freshman year that was really helpful for me in kind of planning my trajectory throughout and thank goodness it, I did it I had access to it then before the pandemic because I was able to actually go sit down in person with them but yeah I think it's a really underutilized resource like I'm sure like I know the name of our anthropology advisor and I don't think like many other majors majors have even met her let alone like know her name and I think it can be really helpful so I second that but I you know I agree with everything you're saying I think we have you know our voices are so powerful in just asking questions let alone in saying the things we believe so I I agree I think communication is super important and you're I think you'll find, I think most people will find that your professors, your graduate students, your friends, like they're going to be a more understanding than you probably are anticipating that they'll be. Definitely. Definitely. I totally agree with that. And as far as like, I'm thankful for UTK because they really have an awesome kind of system for supporting and making first-gen students feel included because we are included, but you know, like mm -hmm. if there's a another level of making you feel like, hey, you're not alone in this. We had, I know this past semester, we had like a whole first gen week where they did oh, like gave awesome. us food and like, I don't know if many people are familiar, but there's like a rock, a huge rock here at UTK that like you can go paint. It's like a fun activity. So we brought everyone out to go paint the rock for first gen week. And so like, I'm grateful because of UTK doing that and, and making people feel inclusive and showing that like oh it's not just me versus the entire student body but there's so many of us like that are here um that are first gen and there is such a stigma behind like oh like you got to be embarrassed to be first gen because you don't know as much as maybe someone else but i think that's absolutely you know not the case at all and don't be mm -hmm. ashamed or embarrassed or whatever people may say like i think yeah. it's an extremely amazing thing to be first gen and, yeah. and pursuing what you love, despite a lot of the hurdles that you, you have to go through. 
Yeah, I think it's an incredible accomplishment and deserves, you know, support to get to get through those hurdles. But I'm glad that you found like hopefully some community within UTK. And I think that's really special to have, you know, to have community um, to to bond with and to ask questions and to trade experiences and again to not feel alone like the other day I'm gonna shout her out right now Megan Kenner who I talk about all the time on the podcast who was the second ever podcast guest like I called we were just commiserating together basically and it was so nice to just not feel alone and I think sometimes we can forget that there are so many other people going through the similar things that we're going through that we can reach out to just to you know be like okay I'm not crazy my feelings are valid. My emotions are valid. Everything I'm feeling is valid. So definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, moving on, <laughs> I'm curious what prompted you to pursue a religious studies double major. I honestly don't think I've met a ton of people with a religious studies major, even in general. Yeah, it was kind of by accident, to be honest. I, I you know, when people say like, oh, uh, someone who really loves our, and are into like cars, they're like gearheads. I'm like an anthro head. That is like what I consume 24-7. I love anything anthropology related. And so I never thought about going outside of the scope of anthropology. I never expected to add an an extra major, let alone or an extra minor. Mm -hmm. But um, I ended up taking this past semester an anthropology of religion class. And it absolutely opened up my worldview at looking at anthropology. And like my focus specifically is really into archaeology. And so it allowed me to really look at um, how religion, spirituality, rituals, funerary practices, how all of this can be seen and tied into the archaeological record and what that means and how it can compare across cultures, within different cultures. It's just really fascinating um, how much religious studies and anthropology really complement each other. I had no idea. And I think it only took me like a month into the class to be, go up to my professor, who was a wonderful professor, Dallas Tatman, uh, very appreciative of him. Um, and I was like, hey, I, I just added a religious studies extra major and I'm about to be a senior. So let, let me tell you how much that, uh, that really means because <laughs> that's yeah. uh, intense to add on so late in. But I was like, I think this is going to expand the way I look at case studies, ethnographies, archaeological sites, cultural, like absolutely every single kind of subfield of anthro, I I think can be highlighted and emphasized through a religious studies lens to some degree in a way that I just didn't think about looking at it before. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, But I just fell in love with religions that were in that top three, you know, mm -hmm. popular, um, religions and that's what we focused a lot on in this class we were focusing on religions that weren't you know this typical what you're gonna throw a rock and hit a church you know what I mean kind of thing we were we were diving into some pretty intense things and and religions and practices and rituals that I just would not have known about otherwise and um, I think it was just really cool to see that um, things are different across cultures religiously but there's also a lot of things that connect them there's a lot yeah. of similarities too, which is so fun to look into. I live in the South. I'm from the South, never really left the South. And so here it's very Christian dominated. So it's like, again, you throw a rock, you hit a church and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think that's great. But to be able to 
look at other religions and practices, I think is also very important to see how we are all interconnected down to such a personal and individual level while still like being different. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> no, that definitely makes sense. I took my first religious studies quarter class this past quarter and I felt I felt the same way. I felt like it connects so much with anthropology and it connects so much with how we are all humans and how our culture has the similarities almost to me seem like the way there are different ceramic vessel types. Like they're all a ceramic vessel and they're all a way to cope with life. They're all a way to cope with, I'm not religious, so please don't, no one that's listening, take anything I'm saying, because I didn't grow up with any, anything, um, to cope with illness, to cope with loss, you know what I mean? Like, it's these really powerful underlying things that I think kind of circumvent a lot of religions. It's really fascinating, and I'm really glad that you're diving into that, and I'm really glad that you, you had the autonomy to be like, I'm going to add another major. I think a lot of people are scared to do that. No, no, it sounds weird, but I think a lot of people are scared to do that. I know, honestly, like, I thought so many times about adding minors, adding majors, and it really just scared me this idea of like almost having two different, two different like interests. Like I feel like so often we're all just kind of like (laughs) ingrained to focus on one thing and make that your passion. So I'm really like happy to hear how you're taking it and combining it with everything else you're doing. I think it's really awesome. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It was definitely scary to, you know, click that button and confirm it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I I think it would be a different story if I was, you know, a physics, adding a physics double major to my anthro thing. But because, like, there are so many connections we can make with religion and anthropology, because, again, like you said, it all revolves around humanity and being humans and what that, at the end of the day, what that means for us. I think it was a pretty simple decision once I thought about it a little bit I was like I feel like this could help me in the long run and right now too yeah yeah that's awesome um so some of the experiences you've had um you know during your time and we'll we'll go to say that this is all during COVID and actually I'm gonna go on my soapbox for a second because I've been feeling like certain in my graduate application process professors are really maybe not taking into account those of us that have gotten experience during COVID, how difficult that was. And the things we've done, while they may be like, for example, let's say I presented, I presented at one conference, if there hadn't have been COVID, maybe I would have done two or three, you know, I think people are kind of forgetting to take it into consideration. I'm just going to put it out there that I think everyone needs to remember that anything that's been accomplished during this pandemic is in is 10 times more impressive whether it's let's say it's like a fraction of what is quote-unquote expected it's so important and honestly like I feel this I feel like I've felt this almost pressure that like I haven't done enough and I don't think any of us should be feeling that way because we've done everything we possibly could so that's my little note that I've been feeling like in the past couple of weeks, like no, really, truly, I've just been feeling like, why isn't doing these incredible things during the midst of a pandemic enough? I will stand on that soapbox right along with you. I totally agree. Um, yeah, I mean, we've all been affected, you know, students, 
uh, faculty, professors, whatever it may be, but we just need to be a lot more lenient with each other because this is such a weird time. And, you know, it's a miracle we all got out of bed today together, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. we, you know, put our shoes on, we eat breakfast while we're going through what we're going through right now, going on uh, several years since mm -hmm. the beginning of it. It's, it's pretty intense. And especially like in our field being so hands-on with things yes. um it's so difficult like whenever I started here at UT and by the time I started at UT this was when I was first really getting into it since I didn't have a lot of resources and labs to be able to partake in in community college UT was like oh great I can start looking into field schools I can start doing my labs and doing research, all of these different things that's literally when COVID hit and so yeah. it's hard to you know it's a hard pill to swallow when you say oh, I'm going into my senior year and I haven't gone to field school yet and then you have to like reel it back in and say be kind to yourself yeah you're here and Your it had nothing to do with you absolutely so you know if uh if I might not get an internship or a CRM position or another job because I don't have a field school right now then and if they can't understand that's because yeah. of this then I don't want to be partnered with them anyways. Yeah. If they can't understand that this is, this has not been easy for anthros <laughs> in school and, right now. Yeah. And of course, yeah, I just think, and I'm glad to hear you like echo that. I just, this is a little message from your friendly undergrads that are doing their dang best. Like we give us a break. <laughs> we're, we're doing the most that we can. Uh, so what I was kind of like starting with that thought was that you've had um, quite a bit of laboratory experience. And I, I know one of them was like in a zooarchaeological lab. One was like a paleo ethnobotany lab. Um, I just want to hear a bit more about like your lab positions. Have there been any that stuck out? Is there like a certain type of collections you're like drawn to? I know for me, I kind of learned that I hated ceramics. <laughs> um, I'm like sorting them all day. I was like, yeah, I don't really vibe with these. But then, you know, also like one of my teachers is like, I could stare at ceramic shards all day, every day. So it's kind of like, I feel like through lab work, you find like what you're drawn to. And I'm just curious, like what that's been for you. Oh yeah, that is one thing that I'm I'm very gracious towards UT for for doing. Uh, since I don't have that opportunity as of right now for field school, I can still go and utilize their laboratories. UT is an R1 school, which is like a top research school, which means that most, if not all, of the professors are doing research or involved in research in one way or the other, which is extremely important to me uh, because I'm a very hands-on person. I learn a lot more by touching and feeling the artifacts I'm working with, working in collaboration with, you know, the curator, the director, or the professor that I'm working with, or grad student, whatever it may be. So UT has been awesome for allowing me to, to dabble across different labs. I don't stick with one particular kind of lab. Uh, if it's anthro, I'm into it. So like you said, yeah, I've done um, zoo archaeology lab. I did a historical archaeology lab um, volunteering for them. I volunteered in the skeletal processing lab at the uh, Forensic Anthropology Center. And then this past semester, I focused a lot of my time um, at our local museum, uh, Natural History Museum, the yeah. McLong Museum of Natural History and Culture, volunteering in their archaeology laboratory and their paleoethnobotany laboratory. So I 
kind of want to just get my hands in all sorts of different um, subfields to be able to see, hey, I might be interested in this, or I can tie in things that I've learned from this laboratory into things I've learned in this laboratory. So it's been a lot of fun. My positions have kind of like fluctuated the historical archaeology lab. I did like mostly kind of cleaning, wet brush, dry brush techniques. That was a good way to kind of get introduced into lo like lab working in laboratories. Um, oh, yeah. And that's when I like realized I was like, oh, I'm a lab rat. I'm here for this. This is so fun for me. <laughs> I feel the same and, way. And, I feel the same way. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, and the zoo archaeology lab was really fun. I, I might be mistaken, but I don't think I am. I think our zoo archaeology special collection is like one of the largest in the country. So there is just a huge array of different species and sizes of um, osteological remains that I was able to work with. It's a teaching lab. So a lot of the stuff I was doing was moving things in and out of the lab into um, areas for the professor and the director of the laboratory to kind of utilize in her classroom. And the graduate student I was working with was like, hey, are you interested in like working with muscles? And I was like, like our muscles? And she was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like freshwater, saltwater muscles. I was like, uh, I never really thought about it, but I'd be down. So for like a couple of months, her and I just like painstakingly taxonomically reorganized like over 1200 uh, muscle specimens for the Malacology wow. collection. I wow. never thought I would do, ever do that, but it was really fun. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, you're going to be an interdisciplinary program's dream. They're going to snatch you up so fast. They're going to be like, she knows everything. She's done everything. But I think it's so important. And I, and honestly, I wish I would have done more of that because I personally feel like we are far too specialized. I think it's really come down to, it's like, you know, you do something and then your student does like the tiniest little branch of that. And that's not bad because there are certain subjects that require 20, 30 year, you know, sites that require that much like in-depth examination. But I also think that we can be more holistic and really like be better anthropologists when we're considering other things. Like, yeah, collaboration is great, you know, bringing in a specialist, but it's kind of like if you have a lot of experience in the different specialties, like you're looking at your collections differently. So you're going to kill it. Interdisciplinary program stream right here. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I totally agree. It's, one, it's been really fun to see the different areas of anthro that I, you know, might not get if I just am like, okay, I want to stick with archaeology from this time to this specific region. Again, that's totally fine if you're into that kind of thing. But um, if I have these resources available and I have the extra time, why not, you know, dabble in, in other things that, I mean, like for the paleoethnobotany lab, I, I did not really even know that was like a thing you could do for the yeah. longest time. And being in there, I was like, I don't really have a draw towards, you know, plant remains from archaeological sites. But now I know what the uh, difference between a charcoal or a uh, carbonized bean versus a carbonized persimmon seed looks like. And yeah. that makes me feel pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. <You're laughs> I love that. It's like the really weird skills that we like pick up. So we've mentioned the body farm at UTK. Now I want to kind of just like break down like basically what that is, because I'm sure like a few of our listeners don't know. And then maybe if you kind of know like the overall like goals, 
if not, that's fine. We can kind of just like talk about the details of what you did um, when you volunteered there. Absolutely. Yeah. So since I'm not in the forensics concentration or am I working at the Forensic Anthro Center, uh, my definition might be a little adjacent to what they would like declare it to be. But as someone who's a student there at UT, an anthro student and has like um, done work in the center, my kind of like best general definition would be, uh, well, the body farm is a concept that was brought in 70s or 80s, I can't remember specifically, by Dr. William Bass, who was just such a rock star in uh, the forensics fields. He um, brought this concept along to help uh, students of forensic anthropology be able to help identify the decomposition process and help them. It's, it's In my head, it's kind of like our version of field school, but it's like permanently yeah. at UT. So what happens is uh, an individual will pass away and before they pass away, they uh, want, they, you know, sign a bunch of documents saying that they want to donate their body to the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. So their body gets brought in and the process of decomposition occurs naturally and they are donating their body for science and research and helping the students and helping researchers, whether that be undergraduate or graduate, or even like we've had like the FBI come in to do like training, things like that, help professionals in the forensic anthropology field be able to get in a controlled setting how the decomposition process happens, how weather affects it, how entomology affects it, all sorts of different things. So that's kind of like the general um, goal is to for the body farm. It's just to kind of assist and further scientific research. I'm very grateful for the individuals who do um, donate their bodies because with every single body that is on the body farm or goes through our processing, they are furthering scientific research, whether that be just helping the students understand what to expect in uh, their field before you know getting tossed to the wolves or um, being able to understand how osteology variations happen, just things there, there's a million different things that you can learn from the body farm. And I think it's just awesome. You don't even have to be in the forensics, like really concentration to want to do research with it. Um, like I'm really interested in osteology, but I'm not a forensics, but I like, if I was interested, I could do research um, mm -hmm. with that. So that's kind of what the body farm is. Um, and then for the skeletal processing out of respect for the individuals and their families and also contractually, I can't speak too much about the processes I, or the procedures that I was doing. Um, it was technically a quote unquote class. It was like a one credit class, but you would meet several times or several hours a week. I believe it was like three and it was the same kind of procedures every single week, but kind of the general scope of it was we were the intermediary between body farm decomposition occurrences and um, moving the individual specimens into our skeletal collection. So I was kind of the intermediary between that. Again, if you like Google it, um, there's a ton of documentaries about it. I know, I think Vice, I don't really support Vice, but there is a really cool Vice um, documentary about the body farm. There are several wonderful books written by Dr. William Bass that are really fascinating that talk about the body farm and cases that he 
has done. So like there is a ton of resources if any of your listeners are interested. It's mm-hmm. a very cool, yeah, very, very cool uh, place. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad that it was like in a class setting where, you know, you, you're like learning a skill and, uh, I just, that's really cool. I'm glad that they're, you know, open to not just having like forensic students, um, you know, get the, get that experience because something else that you've been doing like this upcoming semester is working with museum collections and trying to get some experience in that field. Um, you mentioned it's at, is it the natural history museum on campus? Yeah, it's called the uh, McLung Museum of Natural History and Culture. It's it's the University of Tennessee's kind of partnership with um, our Natural History Museum. Awesome. So uh, have you started that yet? Volunteering this past semester in their archaeology lab and their paleoethnobotany lab. So that's where those were. Um, I'm also a part of their student advisory board, specifically their events committee. So we kind of focus on getting engagement from both students and the general public into coming in and learning about things from like the Civil War um, material remains um, here in Tennessee. We have a human origins ex- uh, exhibition, which is really, really cool. I'm really into paleoanthropology. So that's mm, like super yeah. up my field. We have a bunch of differently interesting uh, exhibitions. And I actually just got accepted this past month to be part of, did I already talk about my internship? I'm sorry. I, can't I don't remember. think so. Okay, sorry. Yeah, um, I live. I just recently got accepted into um, their archaeology slash anthropology special collections intern. So I'll be starting that this spring. It'll be like a semester long gig where I'll be continuing to work um, in their archaeology laboratory, just doing a little bit more hands on work as well as doing some research projects as well. So I'm really excited about that. I have such a passion for museums. I think, I don't think I would be where I am studying wh- what I am without the influence of me going to museums with my mom growing up. And, you know, I don't know, it was just something really special to me, but I'm also really interested in museum studies um, because as, as anthropology is, it's such a colonized and rough history <laughs> yeah. and kind of can continue to be. And so, if I can be a little voice to help with the decolonization or help with repatriation efforts or anything like that, I think that's extremely important to help kind of restructure how we think of museums and bringing in more indigenous voices and bringing in underrepresented voices, I think is extremely important. So I have a love for it. I love museums. They're extremely important, but at the same time, I think we need to be proactive, especially as anthropologists in restructuring where our artifacts go. Yeah. Yeah. I know in my, um, so I just took a class called, well, it was like a, a seminar class on, um, the art and archaeology of the Moshe with, um, Dr. Leisha Boswell. And honestly, I was appalled at her, like, so she'd show us an image of a ceramic vessel or, um, a metal disc. And it was like origin unknown because it was looted and it's in the museum. And so it's just so sad to know how much uh, that's in our museums are looted. It's great that it's now ended up in a museum to be on display, but when an artifact is looted, we have no contextual information about it. And it's so sad because all of these pieces from the Moche, and I mean, this is just the example that I was seeing, um, they're these, you know, beautiful, incredible metal discs. And we have no idea even like what site they're from because they were stolen. It's so sad. And it just, it just makes me so upset. 
it's very frustrating and yeah to to go through like some of the artifacts that I have and it's like oh provenience unknown it's like oh man come on Mm -hmm. we gotta be better than that we gotta I mean I think I think that there's some real headway happening now but oh definitely yeah I think there still is room for room for change yeah I should clarify that I mean the the images she's showing these are things that were donated to the museums like 50 60 plus years ago you know not you're right things have definitely changed it's just sad that like you said it, that that's our history like that that's what we have to look back on it's just it sucks <laughs> definitely so hopefully uh hopefully voices like ours can can ring through all of that and yes get things brought back to where they need to go Yeah. Um, So the next thing that I wanted to chat on is a bit interesting. And I'm wondering like what you thought of it, because I've never offered this to any of my podcast guests, but I think I want to start doing it is I asked you if you had a question for me or a topic that you wanted to discuss with me. And I'm excited to see how this goes and potentially maybe something that I'll incorporate into further episodes, because I feel like sometimes I've had guests at the end that they're like, oh my God, we just talked all about me and I want to talk about you. Or I want to talk about this specific like new discovery or something. So the floor is yours. Yeah, uh, kind of keeping on this topic of us being undergrads and going through the motions and, and looking back, we're both, you know, upperclassmen, we're working on trying to figure out the next steps. I was wondering um, for you personally, if you were to, if looking back on your academic journey in undergrad, and tying that in with your studies in anthropology, is there something that you wish, something or some things that you wish you could have done differently? Are there classes you wish were set up differently or classes that weren't included that you wish that were? Or even um, things that you wish were brought up more? Um, yeah, I think that's my question. <laughs> yes, I have a lot to say. Um, I wish that our linguistics department crossed a bit more with anthropology I'm sad um obviously it's it's I was fully capable to take classes in linguistics so ultimately it's on me but I was kind of sad that there was no natural crossover like no cross-listed courses or interdisciplinary like linguistic anthropology classes since we do have like a really strong linguistics program so that's something that like is both how how the department's set up but also kind of sad that I never like really took the initiative and I have another quarter left so theoretically I could um but it always seems like certain classes like they don't fit when you're when it's your last quarter and you're like trying to take things um another thing that I think like I would have done differently is that my first internship I kind of knew going in that it wasn't necessarily like something I was interested in continuing and I don't want to say that I wasted time there because I learned a lot from it like I learned a lot organizing collections she shall remain unnamed um (laughs) and I learned a lot from organizing cataloging like these collections of ceramics lithics but it also made me realize like how many things sit on shelves for 20 years and never get touched so personally, I, I didn't agree with the ethics of the lab that I was working in. And, um, I, and I don't, so again, I learned things from it. It wasn't like I was harassed. I didn't deal with anything that was overtly horrible. I was just, it kind of made me realize that like 
the people that you work with, it's really important to kind of see like what their motivations are and how they treat their interns. So example, if you're a volunteer, if you're an intern, like I think you deserve some level of respect, even though you're not being paid. Um, and I didn't feel like I got that in this lab. So I think that that's something that I think is important. Um, again, just because you're not being paid doesn't mean like you don't deserve to be like acknowledged as a human. Um, you, you do. I think another class that I would like to be structured differently is UCSB's graduate prep class. I think um, through no fault of the instructor at all, things have drastically changed in the last, let's say like five years of how um, uh, graduate school kind of process applications uh, requirements have kind of differed a bit. So I think that like everything else, it just kind of needs like that little update to, to kind of keep with the times. Um, a class that I wish was offered was literally like excavating um, in Santa Barbara because we have like an incredible amount of archaeology like around Santa Barbara. And perhaps I think they've maybe been offered in the past. Again, the pandemic has affected a lot. But I think that um, having a, for example, I'm taking a, um, a California Indigenous Peoples this quarter and it's super awesome. But I almost wish that part of the class was like, let's go take a field trip and like meet some Chumash people because we're so blessed that we live in an area in Santa Barbara where A, the Chumash tribe is still extremely active, thriving, like beautiful community that, ha- that you know, has preserved their heritage um, against all odds of us horrible Europeans, like trying to crush it out of them. It's wonderful. And I just think it would be really cool to have that like actual connection of, I think sometimes it's like California indigenous people are this like abstract concept. And it's like, no, they exist that, you know, maybe let's just kind of engage more with them, obviously to the degree that they want to, like maybe people have tried and they've been like, we don't want to talk to your college students. Like more power to them. But I think maybe like in a smaller upper division class, like an actual interaction with indigenous peoples can really make you think differently because you can you can hear a million lectures about indigenous rights. You can hear about repatriation efforts, but until you talk to someone who it's their ancestors, I think it really gives you like that different perspective. So I think that's something like, but I think that's a very lofty goal, but I think that's something that could be cool maybe down the line, someone trying to establish those relationships with the Chumash community um, and UCSB and trying to further educate the students like in a practical hands-on way, like you were saying, you know, that's the way that we're going to learn, learn best is like actually having a conversation with someone. And again, maybe that, maybe that is something that's been attempted and that's something the Chumash don't want to do. So I don't want to say that it hasn't. Um, But yeah, I think that could be really cool down the line. I love that. Yeah. And and archaeology specifically, I feel like there's such a focus on, oh, it's the peoples of the past, peoples of the past, they don't exist anymore. But like, especially when we're working so much with indigenous Native American material goods, these people, we're here, they're here. Mm -hmm. And um, they never went anywhere. And to put them in this um, past, quote, like this whole past uh, scenario is just you know excluding their voices more and you're right like if they're not interested I totally understand if they don't really want to engage with us but at least providing that option instead of just completely blocking out their voices and focusing on like oh look what we have we have these things but like 
Mm -hmm. don't really care about what the importance is behind it, the cultural, you know, let's not focus on NAGPRA. We don't need to worry about that. (laughs) Things like that. I think it's ridiculous. (laughs) No, it is. And so I think that it's really awesome. And, you know, I had a guest on here, uh, Katie Sieber, who just talked about also the importance of having, and I have no experience in CRM. So I, I, this isn't like a personal experience, but the importance of having like an indigenous member present during like CRM activities. Obviously, I don't think that would be like the that's not necessary in all cases but like if the CRM activity is like on native lands um she was just like talking about how awesome that was for her to see them pull something out of the ground and immediately know what it is because it is an ancestral cultural item like I think they're the specialists like let's give them the power so I think it's a, a really cool thing that I believe when you know, no, no matter how good intentioned you are, it's something that once you like see and fully understand, like will impact you more. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, again, like I'm going to cut this out, but thank you for doing that. I really was like, I think I might start incorporating this into the episodes, like letting the like guest ask me questions kind of fun. So you should, um, I liked that a lot. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, So the last thing that I wanted to talk to you about, and this is how I always love to end our episodes because there's so much about people that makes them unique. That's completely outside of anthropology. So I know you have two dogs. Could you tell me their names and kind of like your story of getting them or like maybe your favorite thing about them? If you don't want to go into the story, because Daisy's story is like a sob story and it like makes people sad. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I have two pit bulls. Their name are, uh, their names are Yuki and Otis. They're very sweet angels. Um, they're around four and five years old. After this, I can show you. I can bring them in and do a little show oh and tell. But, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm a huge advocate of adopt, don't shop. And I've gotten all of my dogs. I've rescued them either from our local shelter or found them on the street. And mm-hmm. these two dogs I've, uh, I got from the shelter. They were both labeled extremely aggressive and mean and like not good with people. But as soon as I bring them into my home, they're just such love bugs and, uh, never seen them ever get malicious at all. So yeah. they're, they're wonderful. I love my pups. That's awesome. I know you also mentioned to me that you enjoy cooking. I know for me during like, well, I think it's because I lived alone during the pandemic that I really kind of got inspired. Like I started making so many new recipes. My favorite thing to make is ceviche. Um, So have you always loved cooking or is it kind of like a new fascination? I've always loved food, but (laughs) cooking was like a different story. Um, My partner Ever since I started uh, dating my partner, we've been together for three years. He used to work in a restaurant and then our other roommate, he used to be a chef. So like, I'll come home and just have like two guys cooking for me. And so that's really fun. (laughs) But um, yeah, like they really inspire me to use different ingredients that I never really thought of before. I come from a very like, I'm from the South, but my mom is like Midwestern. So it'd be like Mm. pork chops and like green beans. (laughs) which is like, I love, but you know, I come home and it's like steak and like fancy yeah. stuff. And it's like, it's been really fun to get to experiment with food. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's so fun. And it makes you look at like every dish that you eat at a restaurant or someone makes you like differently. And I know personally, like some people 
the process of cooking they're like oh it takes them too long and don't get me don't get me wrong like I have my days where I'm like I want to get a takeout pizza and I don't want to like be in the kitchen but I actually love the process of like chopping everything up like watching everything cook and go together like it's actually a really like meditative soothing process for me um and I know some people like during the pandemic like bread making was that for them Uh, that's just like too many steps for me like I get that yeah that was my partner he was yeah he was Mm. really into uh making bread but um yeah it's very therapeutic it's very fun I I can make a mean banana pudding Uh, I guess that's very southern of me (laughs) yeah that is very southern of you (laughs) yeah that's awesome um you know and I have one last question um just because I think it's fun and I was like being kind of like negative towards Tennessee with my like tornado quip but that's just that's personal I've never even been to Tennessee what's your favorite thing about Tennessee (laughs) oh man um it's so there's so many like natural beauty like beauties here like treasures as far as um anywhere you go you can find like these hidden waterfalls or like I live in in Chattanooga which is like right on Lookout Mountain and so just these like massive mountains that overlook the entire city and no you can drive 30 minutes anywhere and find some sort of like natural beauty we have the Great Smokies right over here that are just really fun if you want to go hike, if you're like bored, you know, with your classwork and just need to like drive a little bit of ways and do a little bit of a hike or go camping with your friends. It's a good like, it's not too cold, it's not too hot. There's a lot of like fun activities to do outside. And also like Dolly Parton, like I, Dolly Parton <laughs> yes. is from here. We got Dollywood, like, <laughs> I think yes. she's a national treasure, but like, she we is. can even, ha- I don't know if you know that, but like, we can get our driver's li- or our license plates that have just like a face of Dolly Parton on it. And I, that, that's probably my favorite thing about Tennessee. Okay. That's my new favorite thing about Tennessee. You get Dolly Parton on your license plate. That's, that's incredible. I think I'm glad I now know that. God, I love Dolly Parton. Oh, that woman. Oh, like, honestly, we all thought it was bad when Betty White died. Like, don't, don't even talk oh, yeah. to me when Dolly passes. Like, oh, it was so funny, though, because I think it was, like, the other day on Instagram, like, she put, she has, my favorite song by her is um, Backwoods Barbie, because she talks about her appearance and how, why she wanted to get, like, the boob job and, like, have the big hair and stuff. And it's really cool because she talks about that it was because she grew up like a Barbie was literally like what she aspired to be, but she's always been like what's inside counts. So I think she's a great example of like, not just, I think maybe some people would look at her as like this specific image of beauty and it's like, that's so not what she is. So there's your little fun fact about Dolly that none of the listeners needed. Go listen to Backwoods Barbie because it's great. And every time I play it for people, they're like, oh my God, this is iconic. I agree wholeheartedly. She's a national treasure. (laughs) Yes, she is. Oh, well, thank you so much for talking with me today, Lauren. I'm really appreciative of you sharing your story with us. (laughs) 